0: Good night, live with Tamara Thorne and Alistair Cross. Good evening everyone and welcome to Haunted Nights Live. We are your hosts authors Tamra Thorne and Alistair Cross. This is a broadcast of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. If you're listening online, please click the follow button. For more information about the show, you can visit Authors on the Air on Facebook, Twitter, and at authorsontheair.com. To learn more about your hosts, you can visit our websites at tamrathorne.com and alistaircross.com. You can also give our Haunted Nights Live page a like on Facebook, or visit our mutual blog at thornandcross.wordpress.com. We're also on Twitter at at @thorncross. Special thanks to W.J. Pierce for creating and performing our music. This is a copyrighted trademark podcast owned solely by the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network, LLC. Uh, Welcome to the show, everyone, and thanks for listening. Um, if you've been following our blogs or other social media sites, you've probably heard that we're on the lookout for true ghost stories. Uh, so if you have a true ghost story you'd like us to read on the air, email it to us at hauntednightslive@gmail.com. at gmail.com. By emailing, you're agreeing the, uh, to our guidelines, which can be read at alistaircross.com backslash ghosts. Your ghost story needs to be anywhere from 300 to 1,000 words and it must be ready for us to read on the air. Unedited stories that need rewriting will not be considered.
1: We won't use last names, including yours, but if you do want us to credit the story to your full name, you have to give us written permission. Don't post your stories on Facebook or send them in private messages. They must be emailed to hauntednightslive at gmail.com to be considered.
0: All right. Our first true ghost story comes from Kristen in Tennessee. It's a creepy little tale that involves a psychic, a haunted duplex, and more than one spirit. Uh, you want to read it, Tamara? Sure.
1: Okay. Kirsten says, Kristen says. Sorry. Um, I have a true ghost story that I experienced firsthand. It involves an old historic home I rented in Nashville for three years, which was haunted by an 11-year-old girl who died there about 1912. The home was a duplex, and my upstairs neighbor and good friend Robin worked as a full-time psychologist and as a psychic on the side. The ghost's name was Abigail. Abigail usually didn't give us trouble. She was fun and whimsical and would do such things as hide my keys and pat me on the head at night. Six or seven other guests had also experienced the same phenomenon, so this was not my imagination. I'm open-minded, but not a ghost person, as you might think. One night in 2005, though, I was already restless due to the recent storms of Hurricane Katrina. I was sleepless and felt strangely creeped out. Something woke me at 3 a.m. I sat straight up from a bad dream, and at the same time, my boyfriend, who lived with me, sat up and gasped. We heard a blood-curdling scream from Robin upstairs. There was a new presence in our house, and it was not friendly. According to Robin, a psychic, a dark presence had entered our duplex. That night, the temperature in my apartment dropped by at least 20 degrees. Upstairs, Robin felt someone crawl into her bed with her. She said he was, Mm -hmm. quote, thin, yeah, darkly dressed and had no face, unquote. Mm -hmm. And it was her feeling that he was there to collect Abigail's soul. The following night, my then-boyfriend, Jonathan, was awakened by what he called an old-fashioned-looking couple standing in the corner of our bedroom holding luggage, We believe they were there to collect Abigail. We never heard from her again, and I was immensely relieved. The four of us sensed that they were her parents. Now, before confirming the information with the Nashville life and death records at the library, Robin knew that Abigail was an 11-year-old girl who died in our duplex during the early 1910s bout of influenza in Nashville. Everyone who had stayed with me downstairs corroborated what she had prob- that she had probably died in our front bedroom. All of her sightings had taken place there, by my mom, my best friends, my ex, and a couple other unsuspecting friends. Abigail was always seen as, quote, blonde, pretty, and wearing a white pinafore dress. The city records even confirmed her name. Upstairs, she would sometimes play Robin's baby grand piano. I had never seen her but I knew when she was around. She was especially active post-Katrina. The house was beautiful, but just too scary to live in, even though our rent was cheap. The dark soul did not return for the two years that we remained there. We have all moved in- on purposefully.
0: That's very creepy. Um, I think we should uh, get some input from our guest tonight, and Tamara, I'm going to let you introduce her.
1: Tonight's guest is Sylvia Schultz, She's a paranormal expert and an author of several books, um, fiction and nonfiction, but tonight we're talking about her nonfiction. Uh, the books include Ghosts of, Par- Ghost of the Illinois River and Fractured Spirits Hauntings of the Peoria State Hospital. She's been a guest on Ghost Hunters TV show and has been doing paranormal investigations for many years. Welcome, Sylvia. Hello. Hello, I'm delighted to be Good here. <laughs> We're delighted to have yeah. you. We have so much fun on your show. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. I'm I'm really delighted to be a part of your show as well. Uh, yeah, I I read the story, and this is um, Tamara and Alistair sent it to me beforehand, so I could take a look at it, and I find this really fascinating. Um, I find it fascinating that. Um, that Kristen woke up at three o'clock in the morning from a bad dream. Um, people mention the witching hour,
0: and ah, people I didn't some of some that. people
1: think it's yeah yeah some people think it's midnight, but most ghost, ghost hunters agree, paranormal investigators agree that uh, it's really closer to three in the morning. Rick Bradbury always uh, wrote about three in the morning. Yeah, yeah. yeah. See, yeah. there's a the precedent for it. Yeah. Interesting. Um, yeah, so that's that's why we that's why we tend to stay out that late, <laughs> go, go something. Um, but yeah, that's I, I find it really intriguing that she just came bolt upright at that time in the morning. Um, I was thrilled to read that um, the the older couple came for Abigail. I thought it was interesting that they showed up with luggage and they they kind of put the idea in the boyfriend's mind that they were traveling. And I i think I have to agree that perhaps they were coming to pick Abigail up and rescue her from this, this threatening new presence. So I'm very I, pleased I, I with the way the, the story turned out. <laughs> I wonder why the dark presence showed up right before the parents did. Did one precede the other for a reason maybe? Or the I don't colored? know. I, it seemed to me, well, looking at it from this side of the veil, of course, um, it seemed to me that the parents realized that their daughter's spirit was in danger and showed up to take precautions and and, and collect her. I don't know why they didn't show up before to, to take yeah. her with wherever they were. That's what kind of confuses me. But I'm I'm glad it seems to have turned out all right. Yeah, nice. this, this is a great story. It really it hits all the right notes. It reality. really does. Kristen, thank you for sharing this with us. This yeah. is really yes. a nifty story.
0: Yes. Thank you, Kristen yeah. in Tennessee. And for the listeners, again, um, if you have a true ghost story, uh, you can email it to us at hauntednightslive at gmail.com. Um, all right. So let's tell everyone a little bit more about Sylvia. Uh, she began her career as a ghost hunter as a result of doing the research for her nonfiction book, ghost of the Illinois, Ghosts of the Illinois River. Her fascination with ghosts dates back to her childhood, and she is an avid reader who was raised on Grimm's fairy tales.
1: And her other book, *Fractured Spirit*, haunting at the P- haunting at the Peoria State Hospital. I've read it; I love it. It, yeah, it thank incorporates you. <laughs> <laughs> it's so head and shoulders above everything else. It incorporates the history of the asylum as well as the many ghost stories that have arisen out of the asylum's abandonment, in an effort to fe- separate fact from fiction. Sylvia has thoroughly explored the true history of the hospital, and she intermingles this with the stories. It's fantastic. And, in fact, Jay Bonasinga, uh, the best-selling author of some of the Walking Dead books, he said, Sylvia Schultz's Fractured Spirits is a fascinating, touching, creepy, riveting read, a sort of central Illinois ghost adventure set in the front chambers of the Peoria State Hospital. Schultz is a natural storyteller and she gets it something deeper and more poignant here than mere phantoms and you really do well thank you so, and Sandra so, uh, was kind enough to write a blurb for, the, for it too and she said I, loved I, hope, it. I hope Schultz who exhibits an innate understanding of the field writes many more of these books because I want to read them all and that oh, is yeah. something I will treasure forever <laughs> ah. and I do plan to write many many more books So yeah. (laughs) Good. Good. They're fantastic. And you, you, uh, blurb our Ghost of Ravencrest too. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, It was very nice. We had to read it and, and we appreciate that very much. Oh yeah. I'm just devouring that. (laughs) Ah, great. For those of you who
0: don't know, for those of you who don't know, the Ghost of Ravencrest is the serialized Gothic novel that, uh, Tamara Thorne and I are writing. It's, uh, about a very haunted estate called Ravencrest and the adventures of the new governess, Belinda Moreland. Uh, If you like ghosts, governesses, and grand mansions with long histories of horror, scandal, and dirty little secrets, The Ghost of Ravencrest is available now at Amazon. Uh, The first installment is an omnibus edition called Darker Shadows, which is a collection of the installments one through three. And the fourth installment is a Christmas-themed horror novella titled Christmas Spirits, which can be read as part of the series or as a standalone. And we did. We had Sylvia Schultz give us, who was our guest tonight, give us a blurb on uh darker shadows and we are honored honored that, that she, you know, who, who has uh uh done so much uh research on the topic really approved. That made us feel very happy.
1: You guys are gonna make me blush. <laughs> That's okay. <Aww. laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> Well, so all right. I let's want... talk about the Peoria State Hospital. What do your guests, yes. what, what, what do your what do your <laughs> listeners want to know? <laughs> they, yes. they want to know. Yeah. What do they want to know, Alistair?
0: I think that uh, they would like to. OK, so first of all, what what is it? It's 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 an it's an old asylum.
1: Yes. Yes. Uh, the Peoria State Hospital um, started out as the Illinois Asylum for the Incurable Insane in oh. 1902. Yeah, horrible, horrible name. <laughs> it, yeah. was, uh, it was it was an existence from 1902 to 1973, and um, it, when you say haunted asylum, your mind automatically goes all American horror story on you.
0: Right. And you automatically
1: <laughs> think pain and fear and abuse.
0: And Jessica. And <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> and the.
1: Uh, now, even, even with this, this frightful name of the Asylum for the Incurable Insane, this was a place of deep compassion. The first superintendent, Dr. George Zeller, actually went to the state legislature just a few years after the asylum opened and said, listen, you, you've got to change the name of this place. He said, don't tell my patients they're incurable. I'm here to do just that. Wow. So he made them change the name and eventually became known as the Peoria State Hospital. So, yeah, it was a place of real compassion. Um, Dr. George Zeller was the first superintendent of the place. Uh, what had happened was that there there was a women's group in Bartonville headed up by the mayor's wife, Mrs. Barton. And they had gone around to several of the almshouses in Illinois. Now, almshouses are frightful, frightful places. If you had $25 for the license and an empty barn on your property, you could open up an almshouse. There was no oversight to these places at all, like the state hospitals did. State hospitals have a board of directors. um, They're responsible to the state the almshouses didn't have this kind of oversight. So insane people could literally be kept in a barn. They didn't feel back in the 19th century that, in the early 20th century, that the mentally ill could feel cold or heat. Wow. Yeah. Really wretched places. So so I I want
0: to go back uh, really quick and, and, I want to start at the beginning I want to know what, How did you get interested in paranormal investigations And what led you to the, to the point That you got to the, this
1: Oh, okay Well, I have always been A complete sucker for true ghost stories <laughs> I, right. I devoured them when I was a kid uh, Every single book on true ghost stories That the library had I read it and I enjoyed the heck out of it and I was always fascinated with the concept that we don't die. We, we, there's some part of us that survives after death. Uh-huh. And sometimes these spirits or these chunks of spirits can come back and interact with people that are still here, the, the, the living. And that the whole concept just completely enthralled me. I was so taken with the idea of somebody coming back from the other side and communicating and making themselves known to the people that were left behind. And, yeah, so when I was contacted by a publisher to write Ghost of the Illinois River, this is a childhood dream come true. I was so excited to do that. Yeah, and um, in doing research for that book, I became aware that, see, I didn't grow up grow up in this area. I grew up in the Chicago suburbs, which is two and a half hours north of here. And I, I became aware while I was writing this first nonfiction book that just across the river from me, just a 10-minute motorcycle ride away from me, there was this abandoned haunted asylum.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: I nice. was just so astounded at this news that I decided to write an entire book on it and the the concept behind the book at first was just to collect people's experiences there uh, everybody i talked to seemed to have an experience to share with me and i was i'm so eternally grateful for people sharing their stories but what i found out very quickly is that you can't understand the hauntings of a place without knowing something about the history of it and the history of this place was stories are. Uh, one of the things you talked about in the book was the geology. And oh, I mean, yeah. that's, that's a big deal to me. I think oh, that has a yeah. lot to do with haunting. So <laughs> tell us about that. Okay, well, this little corner of Illinois is just a perfect storm of things that will cause a place to be haunted. Now, Tamara, you mentioned the geology that is very important at this particular site. Yes. Um. Back three hundred million years ago, um, the middle part of the United States was covered by a shallow, warm inland sea, and there's all sorts of little bitty creatures floating around in that sea. And when they died, and when the, the glaciers came and sucked up all the water and the, those lakes and uh, those, those, that inland sea receded, those little creatures got compressed down into what we now call limestone. And the theory in paranormal circles is that since limestone is made from the calcified skeletons of creatures that were once alive, that acts as a very powerful attractant for psychic energy. Ah, people have reported a lot of light anomalies taking where there's lots of limestone. Uh-huh. Uh, so, yeah, it really does seem to act as... A, a real powerful attractant. Um, the Bowen Building, which still stands on the property today, is made of limestone blocks—not local stone, but um, blocks from the oldest quarry in the United States in Indiana. Uh huh. And um, the another quirk of geology in Bartonville is the fact that there's a lot of running water on that bluff top. There's a it's on a bluff overlooking the Illinois River, which is the longest river in the state. And on top of the bluff, you've got all these ravines kind of crisscrossing the bluff. And sometimes there are there's running water going through those ravines. And if you, there, there are a lot of hidden springs as well. If you go down into the basement of the Pollock Hospital, which is the tuberculosis ward, that is also still standing. If you go down into the basement and stand in the morgue part of the basement, you're actually standing on three feet of a natural spring. Wow. Yeah.
0: Interesting. <laughs> There's a big hole in yeah. the floor,
1: and we always tell people, be real careful, hold on tight to your equipment <laughs> when you're going to into that into that uh, that hole in the floor, because you did not want to drop your expensive thermal in- imaging camera into three feet of water. <laughs> uh. <laughs> <laughs> Just don't uh. want to do that. The geology stuff is so fascinating. Around here, like underground springs, dry air in the high desert, things mm-hmm. like that, fault lines, it, it sets off, and geomagnetics and things like that. I hadn't heard about uh. the limestone. But we don't have yeah, that there. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, I I love talking to people about that because it is such an intriguing concept. Because you, you got to think about it. That's this limestone was once little creatures that were alive. Yeah. <laughs> it just, just blows just my fancy. mind. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Another another reason that Bartonville is so haunted is that um, there has always been, or there's been for many, many centuries, um, a human presence on that bluff top. It overlooks the river. It's a very, very strategic place on the river. You can see for miles Uh, in either direction. uh, Um, I was talking with somebody who was an amateur archaeologist, and he was digging in the river bank just downstream from Bartonville, from the... Peoria State Hospital site, and he found animal bones there with tool marks on them, and he took them to a museum, and they dated the tool marks to 10,000 years ago. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah, way cool. So, <laughs> that's yeah. a Native American presence, too. Is the yeah, human no. presence you feel on the cliff top, does anyone have any idea what it might be? Or where um, it i I don't know exactly what tribe it was, but there have been investigators that have captured the sound of Native American drumming and what uh, sounds like Native American voices very cool and yep. there was actually a fort um sixteen thirty fort Creve Corps was established uh, by the French across the river and north a little bit and in their in the journals. Kept by the officers at the fort, they do um, mention a Native American presence at the site, which is now Bartonville. Wow! So very now there's other reasons for this to be very haunted. You mentioned that the uh, buildings are still full of the patient stuff. Yes. Uh, tell us about that. Okay. All right. So there were 63 buildings on the hilltop at the asylum's height. 13 of those buildings are left. Uh, when the when the asylum was closed in 1973, the state of Illinois just locked the doors and walked away. And the uh, stigma of mental illness was so strong that nobody wanted to go into these buildings. That were urban archaeologists and urban explorers, vandals, <laughs> broke in. Uh, this was kind of before urban archaeology became a thing. Um, But, yeah, people would break in and explore and everything. But most of the time, people pretty much stayed away from these buildings. The city of Bartonville tried to sell a lot of the cottages that the patients used to live in. Uh Now, I say cottage. You're thinking some little tiny place. These were the size of McMansions. They were built to house (laughs) dozens of patients. (laughs) So they were big, big buildings. They were way too big for a single-family dwelling, but they were not really suited to any sort of industrial use. So the city of Bartonville tried and tried and tried to unload these buildings, and nobody would have any of it. So they finally just made the decision to knock a lot of the cottages down, Mm -hmm. and that's exactly what they did. They took wrecking balls and smashed in the walls And all of the rubble fell into the basement. And Uh, whatever rubble was left over at ground level, they would just scoop it up in dump truck loads and dump it into the ravines that I mentioned uh, previously. And that was over 40 years ago, 1973. (laughs) This uh was over 40 years ago. And there are still places in those ravines where you can't take two steps without stepping on broken crockery. Oh,
0: wow. Wow. Yeah. Well, if uh, if you're just joining us, we're talking with Sylvia Schultz, paranormal expert and author of Fractured Spirits, Hauntings at the Peoria State Hospital. Um, I am thrilled to say that I have a copy of Fractured Spirits, signed by Sylvia. <laughs> and okay. I've read it, and I love it. And <laughs> we both do. And uh, one question I am dying to know is, while you were there, did you... Did you ever get scared? Did anything creepy happen?
1: <laughs> uh, scared. Um, <laughs> the only time at the Peoria State Hospital I was ever really scared was, or, or creeped out even, was before I really knew about the place. Um, before I started learning about the history of the place and the compassion and caring that went into it Um, way before I started way before I even thought of writing the book. um, Some friends of mine went to a tour of the Bowen building, which is the administration building. And we were downstairs in the basement um, across from the morgue. And um, (laughs) I was, I was very, I was a very young ghost hunter at that point in time. <laughs> I had just started out, and I was not really fluent in some of the terminology. <laughs> mm-hmm. So this tour guide said, "Okay, we all had our flashlights and everything, and it was all dark because they didn't hadn't turned on the lights or anything because we were in the basement." And the guy said, "Okay, we are going to go lights out now," and I'm like, "I was like, who?" What? <laughs> you mean we're going to stand here in the complete bitch dark with no flashlights or nothing? And as this place is haunted. I'm like, Oh okay. All right. I signed on for this. I pull up my big girl panties and I'll I'll do this.
0: <laughs> so uh
1: so we 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 turned off the flashlights and I I've, I've always been scared of the dark. I'm beginning to get over it, but yeah. <laughs> Throwing me into a dark haunted room at that point in my life was pretty freaky. So (laughs) we've turned off all the flashlights, and we're at one end of this long hallway. We're all clumped together, of course. And from the other end of the hallway, as soon as we turn the lights off, I hear this really weird noise. It sounded like... like that it was like almost like the cooing of a pigeon but you could tell it was human and i went ah <laughs> and the guide said are you okay i said yeah yeah i'm fine and we stood there listening for a while nothing else happened and then we turned the flashlights back on and when we did i went over and sought out the tour guide and i said I didn't mean to startle like that, but I heard something weird down the hall, and I described it to him. He goes, "Yeah, I heard that too." Yeah.
0: <laughs> so that
1: was the only time I've ever really been creeped out. Um, I've got so so go with this, you. Go do this.
0: When you go what? do this, you're, you're you're comfortable with it. You don't get creeped out or anything.
1: <laughs> I, <laughs> I am just, now. You're like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> There, there there, was a time when I first started going to the Pollock Hospital, which is the, where I usually hang out if the tuberculosis was. There, um, <laughs> there was a time when I was going there when um, we were sitting in the office, kind of um, the command central for the whole place, and I <laughs> realized that I had, I was collecting stories and I realized that I had left my notebook and pen in my backpack, which was outside the door on the other side of this. Really short, like four foot little hallway, uh, and oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, somebody started telling stories, and I, I was desperate to take notes, and I realized that my backpack was in the hallway, and I really, honestly, I made somebody go with me across that <laughs> four foot <device laughs> to grab my uh, backpack and rescue <laughs> it and bring it into the room. But <laughs> that, that was that was when I first started going there, um, and then. So I've been there so many times that I have gotten comfortable with it. I still won't go down into the morgue, into the basement of the Pollock Hospital, buy my one I make somebody go with me for that, too. Yeah. But I would do that, too, yes. <laughs> there, was, there was a time when, and, and this will be new to you guys because this story is not in the book. This happened after the book was published. So I this was in um, at the end of March last year. I, had, I was volunteering for the tours at the Pollock. The nifty thing about a Pollock tour is that they, they let you poke around the cemeteries first, and then they bring you into the building, into the men's death ward of the Pollock, and they show you a slideshow on the history of the place. And then you go through the hallway, and there are costumed actors that reenact some scenes from the, uh, the asylum's history, And after all that, then you get to go lights out and explore the building and go ghost hunting. So there's just a lot of stuff crammed into these tours, and they're really fabulous. So I had volunteered for the tour, to be an actor on the tour. And it was a Saturday night, and I had been going all day, and it was a long day, and I was not at the end of the day yet. So I wasn't feeling all that sociable. So instead of hanging out at the front of the building with all the other actors, I went back to the women's ward, which is where my scene was set up. So I'm sitting there in costume, and I'm reading a book. And I'm just sitting there, just quiet and everything. All of a sudden, the lights go out. And I swear to God, I thought it was, Somebody from the building just turning off the lights. My first thought was, wait a minute, we haven't done the tour yet. Why are we going lights out now? This is awful early. So I just uh-huh. raised my voice and I said, hey, um, actually, I'm back here reading a book. So if you wouldn't mind turning the lights on, that'd be great. And the lights came back on. Uh huh. <laughs> And that was the second kind of weird thing that my brain registered. I was like, "Okay, well, if I had turned the lights off on somebody, I would either have said, "Oh, sorry, my bad," or I would have run away giggling <laughs> and yeah. I didn't hear either I didn't hear either of those two things, so I really honestly didn't think anything of it. so about fifteen minutes later, I'm still sitting there still reading my book, and there's I'm sitting in the corner of the room and there's a doorway about. Oh, six feet away from me, I'm sitting there reading my book, and from the doorway, I hear a woman go, <sighs> <Gee.
0: laughs> oh, no. "Like she
1: was just oh. bored to tears. <laughs> uh, why is she sitting there? Why is she not asking me questions? <laughs> what is <going> on? <laughs> ah.
0: Awesome, though. <laughs>
1: oh how funny <laughs> Oh and I told Chris who was in charge of the building, I told her about the lights turning off and she said, Man, the, the ghosts in the women's ward, they just love to turn the lights on and off. <laughs> oh <Okay. laughs> Nice.
0: Wow. <laughs> what thing... are they... oh, go ahead. oh sorry. One thing that I one thing that we definitely have to ask you about is um you uh were Featured on um, Ghost Hunters on the episode "Prescription for Fear." I was. What, yeah. What was that and like? That's <laughs> <frightful> an <laughs> title. <laughs> <I know. laughs> exactly. Well, how did that go? How did you? Even, how did that even happen?
1: Um, well, the the way that happened was that um, the fellow who owns the Bowen Building right now. Um, got in touch with Ghost Hunters and had them come out to investigate that particular building. And it's it's just one of the 13 buildings that are left, but they kind of concentrated on that and they kind of made the audience feel that that was the only building of the asylum, which I really was irritated with. But uh, he, knowing that I had written this book, he was kind enough to invite me to be one of the people that were interviewed for the show. And I was just thrilled to bits. I don't watch a lot of TV, but I'm aware of Ghost Hunters. <laughs> right, And it right. was just such an honor to be invited to be on the show. It really was spectacular. Um, <laughs> I had this pie-in-the-sky idea that I would be able to, you know, as a paranormal investigator, I had the, the idea that I was going to be able to ask to go along on their investigation and... I realized pretty early on that, that was that was rather a pipe dream. Um, <laughs> and it turns out that they, they interviewed me on a Friday and they had been doing all this investigating throughout the week. So there yeah. was no they were already done with their investigations by the time they interviewed me, so so I consoled myself with that. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, I stood in front of the Bowen building and I talked for Oh, a good twenty minutes about the history of the place and the stories behind the Bowen building, you know, spirits that you could find at that particular building. And I told them about uh the ghost of old Book who hangs out in Cemetery Two and his his story is set in Cemetery Two. And uh they ended up using about forty five seconds of footage <laughs> <laughs> which is, it was about what I expected I mean, blink and you'll miss me But I got to be on Ghost Hunters Which is way cool yeah, And yeah. Uh, <laughs> so we, we sat there They they interviewed me in like November, I think And then the show aired in January So like I said, we don't have cable at my house We We just don't watch a lot of TV but uh, my husband found the episode on the computer, so he watched it through the computer. He hooked it up to the big screen TV, and we sat there watching it. <laughs> I'm bouncing up and down and clawing the couch going, that's <laughs> not what I
0: said. <laughs> and
1: creative editing to make it sound scarier than it really was. <laughs> oh, you. <gotcha>. Yeah. <laughs> I, I said that, that's 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 what I said, but it's not everything.
0: that I said. <laughs> so I, was, I just was
1: truly just oh, <laughs> why did you twist <laughs> my words <laughs> like that? That's not what I said. So I was I was kind of I was kind of irritated with that with the fact that okay. they they did some creative editing, and they they just they made the, the asylum seem like such a frightening place. And it really but have didn't, didn't. I no, know. But that, I know. That's entertainment. I till yeah, you Wait Until
0: you hear what we're going to okay. do after the show to this podcast. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> now, I was on an episode as well. And fortunately, about 95% of it didn't air. Because I was just, uh-huh. oh, my God, I looked that bad on TV.
0: But I was on. <laughs> oh.
1: Now, what I want to ask you. Yeah, is, And I like I like those guys. They're very genuine.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But they are doing a show. We were at La Fresa from a mission, and I've been there many times, and it's got a nice haunted vibe to it. But mm-hmm. I have never seen cold spots as big, as cold, or as enthusiastic. I think someone in the group, at least one of them, is an excellent poltergeist agent. They really are feeling things. They were, yeah, they'd say, do you feel that? And yeah, you'd feel it. You know, right in the center of a room where the sun is shining. All of a sudden, it's getting cold. And these are the big <laughs> cold spots I run into. Did you have anything like that happen? Uh, I have never run into any cold spots at the Peoria State Hospital, but Not I have those guys. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I have encountered someone holding my hand, and yes. that was, <laughs> <laughs> oh, was really brilliant. Cold spot, it was so cool, um, and I experienced that as a feeling of warmth on my hand,
0: oh wow, yeah, and it wasn't and it wasn't creepy, it
1: was great, it was so it was much great. fun, <laughs> oh my gosh, so we were downstairs in the basement of the Pollock hospital, which uh-huh. we, we were in the storage room, which is next to the morgue um there's there's a spirit that likes to hang out in the morgue that is really, really nasty. He's a bully and he was probably like a dock worker or something in in life. But he's, he's nasty and he's horrible and when he shows up, he tends to chase the other spirits away. But there are also a couple of other gentler spirits that hang out in the basement of the Pollock Hospital. Um, one of them is a little girl named Elizabeth and we think that the storage room at one point was used to store artificial limbs. And we think that Elizabeth may have been one of the recipients of these artificial limbs. When her spirit is seen or encountered, she EVPs that can be attributed to her are kind of garbled, like she has a speech impediment, and she mm-hmm. seems to walk with like a limp.
0: Interesting.
1: Um, oh. Yeah. So a little little bit, I think she's about five years old. Um, they put a doll down there. The volunteers at the hospital put a doll down there and sprinkled baby powder in a solid circle around the doll and left it. The next time they came back downstairs, the doll was laying on its side, but there was a perfect circle of drag marks where the doll's heels had been dragged through, spun around and dragged through the baby powder. So. What? Um, wow. I've, I've encountered Elizabeth, but the, the spirit that held my hand was um, the spirit of a young man named Christopher. Um, uh-huh. we, I was down in the basement with a group called Peoria Paranormal, and we were working with the spirit box, which I find absolutely fascinating. Um, we were standing around a circle all talking with the spirit box, and it was I think this was about the middle of April. It was still really chilly in the building. So I'm wearing my motorcycle jacket, and my, I don't have any gloves on, and it's kind of chilly in the basement there. So I'm standing there holding my recorder on the flat of my right hand, and my left hand is just sort of down at my side. And I become aware, as we're talking with the spirit box, that fingers of my left hand are starting to get warm. And it was kind of tentative at first. I'm like, oh, am I really feeling this? This is kind of weird. But after just a few moments, the feeling of warmth intensified. It didn't reach as far as my palm, just my fingers. But it was as strong as if I was holding my fingers to a campfire. It was really noticeable. And we happened to have a medium in the group with us, and I said, hey, come over here on this side of the group and tell me what's going on. There's something obviously happening. And she came next to me and concentrated, and she goes, yeah, there's there's somebody holding your hand. And um, she said, Sylvia, you've got a fan. And the ghost box yelped, yes.
0: Oh, wow. So, <laughs>
1: really cool. Wow.
0: Um, and we, we asked the ghost box
1: it's, it's the spirit's name, and we got Christopher. And uh, Christopher just hung out and held my hand for a good five, ten minutes. And wow. uh, some, somebody behind me, uh, somebody human behind me said, well, all this guy wants us to be in the book. <laughs> and, um, of course. So I said, yeah, of course, I'll, of course I'll put you in the book, yeah. And the, the the medium concentrated, and she said, um, actually, that's exactly what he wants. <laughs> so I said, yeah, sure, oh. I'll put you in the book. And um, oh, well. later that year, in July, I happened to be out at the Peoria State Hospital grounds, and I ran into a photographer who was out there taking pictures of the buildings and whatnot. And she and I walked over to the Pollock. There happened to be somebody there. And um, we got to go down into the basement again. And are you guys still there? Oh yeah, we're here. Okay. Oh yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I, heard a beep. I was not sure. Okay. Oh no. So we we went down we went downstairs in the pot in the basement again. And this photographer was a very powerful medium. And I told her about this the story of Christopher and. She said, yeah, he's still down here. And um, I held my hand out again, and I didn't get the feeling of warmth. All I got was kind of like an electric tingle on my palm where I was trying to hold my hand. And uh, this medium said, yeah, his name's Christopher, and he's tall, mid-20s or so, dark hair, very good looking. And she said, he loves you, not in a romantic way, but you remind him of somebody he knew in life and loved so oh, that's wow. why he's kind wow. of kind of kind of glommed on to you kind of not attached himself to me but that that's why he's very interested whenever you come down here so he has held my hand 3 times now so far oh that's interesting. and I, every I'm, time it's just been such a gift
0: i'm curious about this uh when you say um uh, spirit box. Is that the same thing as a ghost box? And for yeah. uh, people who don't know, um, what is that exactly and what do you think oh. of those?
1: Well, uh, the spirit box goes by several different names. Um, people call it a ghost box. Um, that I think they'll term as a Frank's box. Um, people also refer to it as a shack hack because what it oh. is is a, a simple AM radio and there's some way to configure the wires so that it keeps It doesn't land on any station. It just keeps scrolling through the AM dial. And the idea behind it is, number one, to give the spirits some words to work with and also to give them some energy, some electrical energy to work with. And the, the theory behind it is that you ask your questions of the spirits or have a conversation with them and they are able, using this, white noise and these words that are coming through, they are able to respond to you in real time and answer your questions and carry on a conversation with you. I've seen it happen. (laughs) Oh, wow. (laughs) The first Uh time I I had it explained to me, I'm like, oh, I call shenanigans on this. This cannot possibly, are you (laughs) seriously telling me that this is what people (laughs) believe? (laughs) <laughs> and then I saw it in action. And it is so wild to see oh. it in action, to, to ask questions and to have it respond. And to to be standing in the women's ward of the Pollock Hospital where I have spent so much time and have another investigator say, do you know who is here with you tonight? And have that little piece of equipment say, Sylvia.
0: Oh, wow. Wow. Clear as day. Okay. That's impressive. <laughs> it's like a high-tech Ouija board. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it sort of is. Yeah, but, That's awesome. Oh,
1: wow, but but so much less unsettling.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah guess. <laughs>
1: but, oh, it guess. really it's really a gift to know that since you've been there so many times, the, the spirits are comfortable with you and they, they can interact with you. And it's just Great. <laughs> now I downloaded I love that one of those. I downloaded one of those spirit box apps onto my iPhone, and we really? were in a very. I was, yeah, I was, and, I was talking about that with my husband, and he said those the digital ones shouldn't be able to work. Well, now I don't what know because I always that? I've assumed it's shenanigans until hearing your stories. However, <laughs> we had a, uh, a a live theater, a haunted theater out here that we went to regularly and we had all kinds of things happen and my Hmm. friend BJ he took the phone over and stood at the place where most of it happens and it went crazy, it was making noises and talking and didn't make any steps it was picking up energy and excuse me, I assumed something was going on there but you know Uh but I want to ask you about ghosts, Uh, earlier tonight You mentioned spirits or parts of spirits staying behind and communicating. What do you yes. mean by that? Because I think that way too. Parts. Like parts oh parts. well, I I was I was raised Christian and I believe in a heaven. I believe in a heavenly reward. I believe in an afterlife that. Um, that you can look at all your Akashic records and whatnot, and you can be very, very happy and content there and just wait until your next time, next go-round on the wheel. That's my uh, personal belief. But I also believe that there are several different types of spirits. There are spirits that are recordings. There are spirits that are tied to a place because of some horrible tragedy. And I also uh, believe that there are spirits that have the freedom to go back and forth, to come back to a place where they were very welcomed and comfortable in life and also go back and forth between that place uh-huh. and wherever it is that we go after we die. Have you run into any, do you think? Uh, the thinking spirits, not the, you know, reruns. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, my, my husband and I... <laughs> used to own a bar in Pekin, the town in which we Uh live, and that bar was haunted to the rafters. Oh, fun. (laughs) I was thrilled to bits when he told me that our new bar was haunted. Um, There Uh were several recordings there. Uh, We had a a couple of, we had three different groups out to investigate, and one of them, um, there was a medium with the group, and she said, I have never seen so many layers of so many different times of spirits here, wow. okay. and there were spirits from a century of history of that particular building—just layers upon layers upon layers. And she said it's like a big party, but some of them just aren't aware of the others. <laughs> um, oh wow! We, had, we we had a we a, had a ghost. We called top hat guy which uh, the, the spirit would come up the stairs and at the top of the stairs there was a banister and you could either come up the stairs and into the bar or if you hung a sharp light around the banister, you'd end up going into the men's room. And that was uh-huh. the only thing down that hallway, is this teeny little bitty men's room. Uh-huh. So uh, the story goes that a bartender was working New Year's Eve one night And uh, he he saw this guy in a top hat and tails come up the stairs, turn around the banister, and go into the men's room. And he he didn't think anything of it because it was New Year's Eve. Okay, so the guy's Uh. dressed up. No big deal. Well, the guy stayed in the bathroom and didn't come out, and didn't come out, and didn't come out. And the bartender's like, I better go check on this guy. So he goes into the men's room, and there's nobody there. Yikes. And there, there there is no way... There is no other exit from that. It, it just dead ends into the men's room. <laughs> oh, I love it! I love it. <laughs> and we we had a medium come into the bar and bay windows on the it was the, on the second floor, um, and she could she was looking out onto Court Street, and she she laughed a little bit. She said, "I can see horses and carriages going up back and forth along Court Street." And she told us uh, the top hat guy. That's his recording as he gets out of a carriage and goes up the uh, stairs and turns the corner and goes into that room. Um, the bar, the building in which the bar was located, way back in the day, was a gentleman's club. Uh, like a, it was the Knights of Pythias. Uh huh. Sort of like a fraternity, and so it was a place for the guys to enjoy their cigars and their brandy and stuff. Yeah. And yeah. So we had a couple of recordings at that bar. Um, the other, another recording was the fact that um, there was a love triangle going on, and the husband caught the wife with her lover and just beat the paste out of the lover, <laughs> oh. Oh. and uh, didn't kill him but messed him up really bad. So we had a very very sad female ghost that would ju- she just stayed in one room of the bar and would not come out, would not respond to the medium talking to her, just really didn't want to be there, poor lady. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Um uh, and oh, then wow. we had we had also intelligent spirits there. Uh, uh-huh. when there when there there was a, a group that was there, um uh, which group was this? I think it was Central no. It was Illinois Ghost Seekers Society that was there and um they were there was were working with a medium and uh doing recordings and there was a guy standing behind the bar uh, and he was just really upset that people were coming into the bar to look for ghosts He's like, we are not circus animals. We are not here for your amusement. <laughs> he was really getting teased off. <laughs> and we we kept saying, we don't mean any disrespect. We're just here to learn from you. We're just here to communicate. And he was just all pissy with us. He was just like, get <laughs> it was And there was another intelligent spirit who was a female, and she took a liking to one of the male ghost hunters. And she kept inviting him to come sit on the couch with her. She's like, she was <laughs> patting the couch next to her, going, "Come on, come on over here, big boy. Come on, come sit with me." And the bartender, the ghostly bartender, was getting really cheesed with her. was <laughs> he, like, "What are you, you shameless hussy? What are you doing?" <laughs> it was just a scream. It was so funny, and we we never really figured out what the relationship between those two. Was uh-huh. whether it was his daughter or uh, some some other like barfly that he knew, but uh-huh. um, he, she was was asking she was asking the ghost hunter for cigarettes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, funny! <laughs> <laughs> we actually had a hunting group guard was in there at one point, and before the investigation started, somebody put their e-cigarette on the bar next to her purse, uh-huh. and. She walked over to get it, and she stopped like three feet away from it. She goes, Sylvia, come over here and look at this. And I came over and looked, and I don't smoke. So I did not get the significance of this until she explained it to me. She said, the end's glowing.
0: Oh, wow. So oh.
1: she goes, that, the end does not glow unless somebody's actually smoking it.
0: That's creepy. <laughs> oh, creepy that's in a lot of ways.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: yes. Yeah. I'm gonna want to oh. for all eternity.
1: <laughs> God, those herpes. Oh uh, yeah, Once an addict,
0: all an addict. I guess I yeah, don't know. Right. So, <laughs> hey, before before oh, we uh, have to before we have to wrap it up, um, I want to ask you a little bit more about Fractured Spirits. Um, yeah. First of all, what what would you say um, makes uh, Fractured Spirits different than any other ghost hunting book?
1: Oh, you guys are gonna love this. Okay, so I. When I was writing Fractured Spirits, I came across all these EVPs that I was collecting that other people had collected, photographs that I'd taken, and I thought, wouldn't it be cool to make this book interactive? So if you're reading through Fractured Spirits, and this goes for the e-book as well, if you're reading through the book and you come across a little cartoon ghosty in the margin, that's your signal that there's extra stuff on the Internet. You can either go to the Fractured Spirits Facebook page or to my website, com. And whenever you find a little cartoon ghosty, you can actually go and listen to that EVP or watch that video that a ghost hunting group has captured as you're reading the book.
0: Very cool. That's awesome.
1: Thank you. I want to go (laughs) do that. Yeah. What do yeah, you want so all the the page oh. page numbers are marked, and uh, yeah, especially okay. if you go to SylviaShultz dot com and click on okay. Fractured Spirits and click on Sound Files for Fractured Spirits, and it's it's all right there. Nice. Well, this book is so fantastic. Okay. And what do you want people to learn from it? Oh, I want them to learn that I know asylums are scary places. I get that, but If you look at the history of the Peoria State Hospital, this was a place of caring. This is a place of deep compassion. Um, These nurses and doctors cared so deeply about their patients. That's one of the reasons it is so extremely haunted, because these patients felt loved there. Uh This place was was its own insular little community. They were self-sufficient. There were three working farms. They slaughtered their own pigs. They made barrels upon barrels of sauerkraut every year. Every one of these cottages that I mentioned before had a little garden. They had its, it, Each cottage had its own chicken coop. They were completely wow. self-sufficient for many, many years. The only thing that they didn't make was shoes. And it was the patience doing all these things providing for themselves, giving themselves a sense of self-worth. And you've got three meals a day of locally grown food. You've got people who care about you. You've got things to keep yourself, yourself occupied, to keep your mind occupied during the day. Some of these people lived at the asylum for over 50 years, their entire life. And it's no wonder wow. that they choose to come back to a place where they were so loved.
0: Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, um finally, finally, where where can readers find your book? Where can they find this?
1: Uh Fractured Spirits is on Amazon. And it can also be purchased from Crossroad Press. Crossroad Press. Right.
0: Very, very oh, nice. Great, and, great. Uh, I we've both read it, we both love it, and we both highly, highly recommend it. We um, really if, do. Yeah. And um, we both want to come to... and visit you. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, well, if, if you make it out here, I will personally be your your native guide. I would be delighted to.
0: <laughs> Very good. Nice.
1: We'll hold you to it. <laughs>
0: All right. Absolutely. We've been talking to we've been talking to Sylvia Schultz, uh, paranormal expert and author of Fractured Spirits, Hauntings at the Peoria State Hospital. Uh, you can visit Sylvia at SylviaSchultz.com. Uh, thank you for joining us. And um, we hope that you all uh, have a good week. And until then, may you have haunted nights.
1: Sweet screams.
0: Goodbye, everyone. Thank you.